Welcome to Just Between Us, a podcast powered by the Corey Johnson Program for Post-Traumatic Healing in Boston. Every week, we focus on ways to heal from the devastating impact of collective trauma on our world. My name is Reverend Liz Walker. My name is Judell Cummins. Our guest today is Prentice Kroll, one of the members of our trauma team. Prentice has an amazing story that I am looking forward to hearing. He's a recovery coach at Harbor Hospital in Jamaica Plain and a founding member of Safe and Sound Recovery Center with the Boston Public Health Center. And so, Prentice, we are so grateful that you're here and we thank you for sharing your story with us. Uh, tell us a little bit about your recovery journey. How long have you been in recovery? And, and tell me what that means, recovery. Um, well, recovery for me, it starts with the fact that for from the time I was 26 on up, I was addicted to methamphetamine. 28, 26, 27, 28, I started using. And uh, it kind of just turned my life upside down. And I, I really didn't real. I thought I was, things were okay. I thought I was, you know, doing what I'm supposed to be doing. But my life just went downhill and my family kind of fell apart. In 2016, my stepson was murdered outside of Marin City, California. And I was, I was, I was, I was strung out on drugs. But I was the first one to find the body. And, and he was my stepson. He turned 17, but I had raised him since the time he was like a baby. So, you know, here I saw this young man, this baby in my mind, um, become a young man and then be brutally taken away from us. And, and it just did something to me. It shocked me back into, I don't know, reality. And, and I realized that this kid died because, you know, he died over a bag of marijuana that he found and he wouldn't give back to the people who put it there. And, and we live all our lives smoking weed and drinking and me and his mother doing hard drugs and, and just the fact that he grew up in a place where it was all right to use and sell drugs. You know, and I didn't realize that that's what killed him. Mm. And uh, so I, I, you know, I still, I was strung out. And so it took me some time to get away from where I was at. But when I did, I, I, I didn't want to use no more. I didn't want it because I knew if I did, I would start reliving that. You know what I mean? Because I was still reliving it. But because I was so, I put the drug down, you know, I could kind of put it over here on the shelf. But I knew if I went there, it'd be like picking it back up and I'd start that cycle again. And, and I just didn't want to do it. But I also knew I wasn't strong enough to stay away from it. You know, I wasn't strong enough to, it had been a pattern for me up until then or I would get some clean time, but I would get thrown back into a position where I was in the neighborhood where it was at. And, um, and, I, and, and there were times when I actually, you know, I tried to not, I tried to not pick up, but I was still drinking or I was still smoking weed. But it seemed like every time I turned around, somebody had a methamphetamine pipe and they were burning it. And so I would just fall back into it. And I knew that was gonna happen again. And um, I was blessed to have been out, lived out here. In, I'm, I'm from Northern California. I was in Sacramento at the time. And um, I was homeless. I fell out with my family. I was jumping in and out of garbage cans, looking for bottles, you know, and cans to buy alcohol and, and weed every day. I was still using every day. I just wasn't using the drug that really, really was 
to my detriment. But I, like I said again, I knew I was going to use again. I lived out here 20 years ago. I went to Berkeley College of Music and lived out here for a while. And so I knew, one, I knew I didn't know nobody out here who was doing it. Um, and as far as I knew, there wasn't, there really wasn't a lot of meth out here. Um, coincidentally, you can go outside probably right now and get it since, you know, I've been here seven years ago and I've seen a kind of watch it catch on. And I kind of think that that's why, one of the reasons why God sent me out here was to sort of be able to be, you know, an example for people that were just now catching on to this really, really deadly and addictive drug um, that a lot of people don't make it. It's really, really hard to stay away from, you know what I mean? And, um, and I was blessed to get hooked up with the Boston Health Commission, Doug Lomax, who's a member of your guys' um, trauma team, and I uh, just found a new way of living, living clean, you know what I mean? Living a life, living a purpose-filled life. Um, and so now I just, you know, I'm a recovery coach. I know I'm saying a lot. No, we're, I hope we're, I'm, we're I'm, hanging uh, on yeah. every word, so um, it's fine. It's just recovery for me is just, you know, not going backwards in my life. I come from a, a long line of, 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 of alcoholics and addicts. I used to say, you know, I'm seventh generation, eighth generation out of slavery, alcoholic, you know what I mean? Because I could trace my people back to slavery. Um, and and we, all, we all use something, you know. Um, and, and I kind of... I kind of feel like it's a it's a generational trauma too, that a lot of people, you know, drugs and alcohol are new chains, you know, you know it was they chained us up in boats and they chained you know, and they forced us to work, but when they let us free, we took a we thought being free was doing what the master did, you know, and the master got you know he drank and he did whatever he wanted to do, and so we didn't, you know, we really didn't claim real freedom you know real freedom is being free from everything even things that you like to do that, that sort of shackle you and chain you and force you into somebody you don't want to be so can you uh take us back just one moment uh you said you started using when you were 26 what drew you in i mean i think you you hinted to you know you come from a long line of family members who yeah. you know was into uh drugs as well and alcohol but what drew you in was it that? And maybe it was that. It, it really was because I, I, I left here. I was here in Boston from 93 to 96. I was 26 when I went home. And uh, I got a job at the hospital I was born in, you know, and I was doing well. Um, I, you know, I picked up smoking weed and drinking just out here in college. Um, but like I said, my family was big, you know, in this whole drug scene out there and, and everybody was doing it out there. And actually my, my ex-wife, my, I, I hooked up with a, a lady who, who had three children and then we had two kids together. And that was one thing that she did. She sold, she sold meth and, uh, and I just picked it up out of boredom, out of curiosity. I don't know, but hmm. yeah. One of the things that we have been talking about in recent weeks uh, is the death of uh, Michael Williams, the actor who was on The Wire. I don't know if you're yeah, aware of this, yeah, and yeah. brilliant actor yeah. who played Omar in that uh, uh, television series. And there have been so many tributes to him, and he had an addiction, and that's what took his life. And I, th 
I think it, it just it baffled me that here's this guy who gets this, you know, he's a star, he's a movie star. How can you be? How can you stay in, in an addiction? But but I don't think we know how difficult it is to get out of addiction. Yeah. I, can what what is it that? Why is it so hard? I would say it's so difficult to get out because it's so easy to get in. It's everywhere. We live in the culture of substance use. You know, if you listen to music now, especially what the young, the rap, the hip hop community is saying, you know, they're, they're singing about using and selling drugs. And it has just become a norm, a norm. And, and he's not the only one. There's so many more out there who are using. I think the, I remember when they first started training me in, in peer recovery supports, they said that um, out of the 23 billion people who, or million people who probably use in America, only about 100 or 300,000 actually look to get help, you know. Mm. Yeah, we live in a culture, we live in a society that says it's okay to use, you know, and that's from the top down. It starts at the pharmaceutical companies and the doctors. They say 80% of doctors are, are on something, you know, and, and, and they're farm, you know, farming it out to their patients, and that's that's a lot how the, the whole opioid epidemic got started is, you know, here, take these Oxycontins, you know, take these Percocets, you know, they'll, they'll kill the pain. You know? We live in a culture where we don't want to feel no pain, you know. We want things to be easy, and things ain't supposed to be easy. You know? No. We're supposed to feel pain. Right, right. So we talk, we're talking about culture and how culture kind of plays a role in keeping people in that space of addiction. What music were you listening to besides, you know, the people around you? Well, I'm, I'm a rock and roll guy. So <laughs> sex, drugs, and rock and roll. It's, it's, you know, that's, that's how they, you know, that's how they feed it to you. I, I don't think that music has so much an effect or even, you know, just pop culture. It's more of a reflection than it is an influence, mm. you know. Um, think about the '60s, you know, and, and and the tune in and turn out and drop out. That was just them embracing something that was already going on from you know the '20s, the Roaring Twenties. You know, people like to party. You know what I mean? And people like to escape reality. You know, it's a. Mm. And, 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 and I think the powers that be tried to, one, they tried to demonize and, and criminalize things basically because of race. You know, they tried to, they, they, they criminalized marijuana because of Mexicans. They criminalized cocaine because of black men, you know. Um, but it wasn't, and it, it ain't never been just one people. You know, they did, they did it with the Chinese with heroin. It's never been just one people. You know, white folks do drugs too. Mm-hmm. One thing you said that really struck me is that we're all trying to get away from the pain, and I preach about that all the time. I absolutely agree with you, uh, but we may not think about recovery at, as it is impacted by trauma. That's pain. That's what trauma is. Yeah. But you're in our program, so what's the connection? I mean, do, is it that intense kind of pain that that drives people to drugs, or 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 what? I think it. You know, it's part of it is physical pain. Part of it is you know emotional pain, angst. Um, I say I attribute to a lot of you know lack of fulfillment. You know, and and that's sort of been my journey is 
filling up my life with positive things so that I won't go. Because if you don't have anything to grab onto, you know, you'll catch a ride on any train smoking. Mm. You know, no pun intended. <laughs> but um, a lot of it has just because people aren't fulfilled, you know, emotionally and, you know, and mentally. You know, we, we, we think that money, you know, or flash cars or flash clothes are going to make us happy. But they don't make us happy. They just make us look good. Mm. You, know? mm. so, hey, you sound like a preacher. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> you do sound like a preacher. I mean, yeah. you, you know that we're all trying to fill up the holes. Yeah. Do you think of it as a spiritual kind of? Oh, yeah, of... definitely. Definitely a spiritual, spiritual gap. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of people, you know, they they think spirituality is 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 going to church on Sunday and I'm not knocking church on Sunday especially in, in the house of God <laughs> um, but you know spirituality is how we treat each other and how we treat ourselves and, and how we go through life and can we appreciate the little things you know that I woke up in the morning and I feel good you know? in your recovery process while you were on this journey to healing what tools did you use to help you keep your eyes fixed on your goal you know it's funny because I used my tweak, and people, I don't know if you ever heard that term tweak, people who use drugs, especially methamphetamine, they call them tweakers, but everybody has a tweak, and that tweak can be, some people take apart cars and put them back together, or they don't put them back together, they just take apart stuff, <laughs> you know, some people draw, some people write, um, for me it was, was working out and practicing martial arts, and I got into, I got into Aikido, right right before I started using. I mean like right before I started using. And matter of fact, I probably started using two, maybe a month after I started class. And so I would get high and start working out and start practicing and going, you know, in fantasy land in my mind, you know what I mean? Um, but, you know, that's what I did. Unfortunately, when you, when you come down off a drug like that, you lose interest in all these things. You know, you don't have the energy to get back. So when I started to get clean, that's what I would do. I would work out and I would meditate, you know what I mean? And I'd practice. And, um, and I started to rebuild my body, you know what I mean? Um, and my mind stayed strong. I think that kept my mind. I know it, it, it saved my life actually at a, at a time when I probably would have gone off and, and done something really dumb and something really destructive. It helped me to calm down and to focus that aggression into something else. And so actually, that's kind of what I got into out here. I practiced Aikido at a, a dojo out here in a high park, Boston Aikikai. And uh, but that's my goal is to, I'd like to become an Aikido instructor along with having my own recovery program that's connected to it, you know what I mean? Because um, that's where recovery is going. It's not so, I mean, it's always going to be NA and AA and the 12 steps and that, and that stuff is great. You know, I've learned a lot from that. But it's become a lot more of a mental, physical, spiritual journey, and filling those mental, spiritual, you know, gaps with something. What do you think the the Corey Johnson program uh, uh, contributes to this? Now you know because we have these weekly gatherings, and you mm -hmm. can come in, and now we're doing them on Zoom, and you can talk about your pain. How does that serve, or does it serve people who are in recovery? Oh. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know it gave me a, 
a safe space to be able to talk about my stepson passing. Um, I'll never forget when I sort of was able to get that because I never talked to it to anybody before about it. And then, and then meeting so many mothers who have lost children, um, it just you know really makes you feel like you're not alone in that whole when it comes to loss. And I think also with the whole pandemic, that's how we stay connected, you know, um, is meeting every Thursday and in the men's group every every other Friday. Um, connection is where it's at, you know. Uh, Doug Lomax, who, my, my mentor, and, who, and, and, I, and I love the guy, like, and uh, it learned so much from him. He told me one time, he said, you know, we were at this, this class and they were talking about how addiction is a disconnection. You know, and the cure for it is connection. And a light bulb went off of my head. You know what I mean? Because addiction always isolated me. You know, and kept me away from. You know, I don't want to deal with these people. You know what I mean? I don't want people getting close to me. I want people to know me. Um, I've I've been able to let people get to know me through this program, and, and I'm grateful for that. And I think that it, just anybody who comes in a safe place like this, anybody that I brought here has felt at home here. You know? That's great. That's great. So what is the most effective support we can give, um, you know, to our brothers and sisters who are grappling with addiction? Mm. Big question, y'all. Right? <laughs> um, I mean, the connection is, is key. Um, mm -hmm. um, y'all already give love, and that's all you need is love. I hate to sound like a, a, no, you know, a song, God. but you know no. that's God is love, and that's all we need, um, and just time and patience, because um, it's because it's the hardest thing for me to accept love. Mm. You know, what I mean, it took me some time, and I still, you know, I don't like a bunch of funny, fuzzy feelings. Sometimes make me feel a little funny. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But it's good for the soul, and, and we need it, and we want. You know? Yeah, and so, we need it. God, we need it. Yeah and we fight what we need. Our city and nation right now are overwhelmed with the opioid crisis. I mean, we can't even get to the airport without seeing it here in Boston over on what we used to call methadone mile and now we call it mass and cast. But what, what can we do? How can we solve that? I mean, that's like hundreds of people, it seems, who are either strung out or trying to get free or whatever. What's, what can we do? Oof. Or what step, what one step would you say? I know that's a big question. Maybe it's unfair, but. I think, you know, Safe and Sound is right down there. And we watched it sort of turn from where you could come there for treatment. You could come to the center and be safe. And you could still come to the center and be safe. But they don't really have no treatment there. And they focused on harm reduction and, and I'm not knocking it, you know, I'm not knocking, giving, you know, giving them needles to be safe. Um, but there's so much less focus on recovery. There's so many less safe places for recovery. I say, you know, I mean, to see a problem like that, and, and there ain't no easy answers. I think one of the things you gotta say is it ain't just an opioid addiction, an opioid epidemic. It's a substance use epidemic. And, and the substance use starts in a house on in Arlington. You know what I mean? It starts out, you know, on the North Shore. You know, um, it's it's everywhere. 
it's not just there on Molina Cash. It's realizing that, you know, people are, are, are using to numb themselves from pain, from trauma, and, and, and this is the end result. But it don't, it don't start there. It starts in what we could call a safe place. It starts in home. It starts in the families. You know what I mean? Um, prevention. You know what I mean? Education. And 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 I think fulfillment. You know what I mean? Is is start putting pro programs in place that give people a direction to go. And if people find a direction that they love, they'll go. They'll go. You know what I mean? They'll they'll leave the drugs alone. They'll go. Mm. You know. They mm -hmm. just got to be. They've got to be shown that. You know, I don't think a lot of programs right now they're showing. You know, they get them sober for a minute and then they kick them to the curb. Mm. So abiding, staying with them would oh, be yeah. important, yeah. which yeah. is what we try to mm -hmm. do. To the one who is lost in addiction right now, what advice would you give them? Um, I just tell them, don't give up. Don't give in, you know, it'll be, it, it can get better, you know. As I remember a time when I couldn't see no daylight at all, you know what I mean? And I, and I, and I thought every, I thought the whole world was against me, you know, but I was blessed enough to have, you know, a pretty good spiritual upbringing to where, you know, family members who I knew loved me and weren't here anymore, I could hear them speaking to me, you know. It's, you're gonna make it through this. You know, you're stronger than this. Keep going, keep trying, you know, don't give up on yourself. We may be asking you some tough questions, but you've got some uh, solid answers. <laughs> and we really appreciate you for joining us, Prentice, and we wanna thank you. And we wanna thank all of you for being with us, and we hope that, I know that something that has been said is gonna help you along, I just know that. So continue to join us for Just Between Us and continue to join us for our weekly Zoom conversations, Can We Talk? Prentice was telling you about what it's done for, for him and we think it can do things for all of us. People from all walks of life come in to share their stories of loss, grief, hope, and healing. If you want to learn more about Can We Talk and the Corey Johnson program, visit our website at rpcsocialimpactctr.org. That's rpcsocialimpactctr.org. Thanks for joining us. Be well.